2: Bad things can and do happen, and sometimes the world can seem like a very scary and dangerous place. Fortunately, there are things we can do to become personally responsible for the security and safety of ourselves and our loved ones. Joining us today to provide tools that can help us in everyday life is John Ionarelli, a former FBI special agent who now works to keep people and businesses safe. John spent more than twenty years in the FBI, and he is the author of five books on security issues. He's been seen on major media outlets and in publications such as Forbes, The New York Times, and the Wall Street Journal. Welcome, John. Thank you so much for joining us.
3: Thanks for having me, Jim.
2: So John, I'm really excited about having you on the show. You and I go way back, I mean all the way to college, so You're a well-known security expert, and more than ever, we need to learn how to stay safe. So in this show, we're going to talk about security issues and how they impact everyday life on a quote-unquote normal day. But before we do, let's talk about the situation that we're in today with the coronavirus pandemic. With what the world is experiencing regarding COVID-19, does a situation like this present security concerns that we may not otherwise have?
3: absolutely COVID 19 is unlike anything that we've seen before and the situation we're dealing with reminds me of the days of 9 11 except we're taking longer to get back to normal and we haven't even started to process yet people need to realize there are threats that exist out there beyond the disease itself criminals are going to use this opportunity to take advantage of you you have to be on guard make sure you're protecting yourself from the virus and from those who want to hurt you.
2: John, what are some of the biggest threats that we're facing right now?
3: So regarding the COVID virus, what we're seeing is a lot of computer online scams. Criminals are taking legitimate sites like the CDC and sending out emails with messages, look at the latest information regarding COVID, but yet in the emails, they're embedding malware, things to infect your computer so that they can see everything you're doing, including your logon information for your bank accounts, personal communications, etc. You have to be careful. Don't open anything unless you're going actually to the legitimate site. Never open an attachment from a stranger because you don't know what that stranger is sending you.
2: We're hearing the term disinformation more and more. For someone that may not be familiar with this term, what does that mean, disinformation?
3: essentially disinformation is putting out information that may be incorrect trying to mislead you getting you off topic from what the real important information is we have so much information right now out there and so many different sources particularly related to the covid virus it's very easy to be led astray that's why again go to the legitimate sources go to the actual news outlets go to the sorts itself like the CDC, don't trust third parties that you've never heard of before. They're probably giving you information that you don't or shouldn't need.
2: In addition to what you just advised, are there any other steps that people can take to stay safe during this outbreak?
3: You know, during the outbreak, we talk about maintaining good hygiene. Well, in the cyber world, they use the term cyber hygiene as well. You want to make sure that you're keeping your computer clean of any virus in this case a computer virus that can hurt you make sure your passwords are secure make sure you're not downloading anything you shouldn't download make sure you are downloading the patches and the updates because they found problems with your system and the manufacturers are trying to fix those problems to keep others from getting in by maintaining good cyber hygiene you'll keep your computer system and your personal information safe during this pandemic
2: we see a lot john uh, about people that are selling fake hand sanitizers or other products what do you advise people do to avoid being a victim of that type of scam
3: there's a lot of products out there we all want to have in these days that can't find on the short store shelves but This is no different than anything else that cyber criminals have been taking advantage of over the years. There's been all sorts of medications and products and other things that are just phony. Well, they're doing the same thing now. If you order something online and actually receive it, it may not be what you think it will be, and it probably doesn't do the job that's intended to do. The best advice is stick with the legitimate places to purchase the products. If they're out of stock, they're out of stock and you're just going to have to wait. But when you're buying from an unknown source, you have to ask yourself, why does this company have all this hand sanitizer, yet I can't find any on Amazon or in my local grocery? There's a reason. It's probably not legitimate. If it seems too good to be true, it is.
2: So, John, obviously what we just discussed carries through to our normal everyday life. And let's talk about different areas of our life and what we can do to stay safe. And we're going to cover as many topics as we can today. So let's go back to Internet security. What are some of the biggest concerns we should have when it comes to cybersecurity in everyday life?
3: Well, there's a lot of people out there who are trying to get your personal information And the reality of it is that if you're a victim of cybercrime, you're probably going to be on your own. There's only so many resources out there in the law enforcement world, and yet the cyber problem is so incredibly prevalent. When it comes to investigators looking at these problems, they have to prioritize. And so from the FBI standpoint, for example, when I was leading these sorts of investigations – I was worried about terrorism, national security, things like that. And when I was finally done with all those issues, if we were lucky enough to have somebody who was available, then we may take a look at a hack that involved a personal endeavor. But somebody who loses ten, dollars 20000 the sad reality is no one in law enforcement is really going to look at that because there just aren't the resources You have to protect yourself. The best way to prevent yourself from being a cyber victim, take some very simple steps. Be careful about what you open up, just like I mentioned before with COVID. You want to make sure that you are not opening up attachments that are not downloading malware to you. Having a strong password, that's the number one. If you have a weak password, there are computer programs that can just try to Hack your password using brute force, open up and get access to everything you're doing. Those are just some basic, simple tips to keep safe.
2: And, John, what about protecting our children? You know, kids don't always want to tell us what they're doing. So, what can we as parents do to keep them safe?
3: I spend years trying to go after online predators that are looking for children, get access to our kids. The reality is, there's a large number of predators in, out there in society. You know, when we were young, parents might warn us to uh, be careful about talking to strangers. Well, on the internet, everybody is a stranger. And kids today just don't realize that because they've become so second nature in using computers. Parents need to realize when their kids are online and they're in various apps such as oh say for example Tinder or Whisper or things like that they're talking to people that they've never met before. Predators will go to these sites despite the fact they may be much older. When you're online nobody knows who you are. Likewise even with video gaming no one is video gaming by themselves or with a person next to them in the room anymore. They're doing it online with absolute strangers. This is what predators look for. We need to teach our children to be aware, not to give out personal information and what they say to these people, because that's how predators will lure them in.
2: John, I know so many people that are using online dating to try to meet people. And the interesting thing about this, it seems like they're throwing all caution to the wind. I can't believe the things I see people doing when they meet someone online on a dating site. So what do you advise that person do? What are some really common sense, really, if you think about it, things that someone should be doing to protect him or herself?
3: So the online dating apps have become the way that people meet each other in the 21st century. But think about it. Every online date is a blind date, as we used to know it. You don't know anything about the person. You don't know anything that they posted or told you online is true. So take the time to be a cautious when doing this. Number one, never meet somebody anywhere but in a very public place. It's a good idea to share information with others, too, and let them know who you're supposed to be meeting and where you're meeting and what time you're going to be home Stick to the plan. Don't deviate and go elsewhere where you no longer have control of the setting. Even though the person tries to remain anonymous, if God forbid something were to happen, by sharing that information with others, there will be an electronic trail that law enforcement can use. But chances are, if you're abducted or assaulted, well, the damage is already done. You don't want to put yourself in that situation. I'd rather there not be a crime that never has to be investigated rather than have to respond to something where somebody has been injured.
2: And the thing, too, to remember, I I would assume these people are very good at what they do. They know how to play on you psychologically. They know how to get a, a seemingly intelligent person to make reckless decisions.
3: It's referred to as grooming, and that's what these guys do for a living, essentially, by grooming the person, saying the things the person wants to hear, including describing themselves as being secure and safe and successful, saying all the right things that one would try to say on their best behavior on a first date. Well, these are the things that they do and know the tricks to. Meanwhile, there's all sorts of rooms out there on the dark net where these predators communicate with one another and share their success stories and tips and tricks on how to lure victims. It's almost as if there's a training academy on the dark net for how to be a criminal. So they're not just making this up on their own. They have help. If they have help, you need help as well to keep yourself safe. That's why follow the simple advice of be cautious in what you do, share information with others, what you're going to do, and never give out too much information about yourself up front until you know who you're speaking with is the person they describe themselves to be.
2: John, all of us are addicted to our cell phones. It, it's become part of our anatomy. You know, you, you, you see people downloading all of these apps and spending a great deal of time on this device. But you say that a cell phone is a threat to personal security. Why is that the case?
3: You're walking around with the computer in your purse or on your belt. The reality is that cell phone has all your personal information on it. Think about people grabbing their cell phones and they're going to log into their bank account. Now, you've probably taken the time to download some malware software uh, antivirus on your computer at home. What have you done about your cell phone? Have you ever had your cell phone scanned to see if there's anything nefarious on it? There are viruses that attack the cell phone that can get all that information. Likewise, if I infect your cell phone and you log into anything that you would use at home or at work, now you've shared that virus with the work and home computers as well. You have to be careful and make sure you're keeping your cell phone up to date and safe. Use strong password as well, so that way nobody can hack into that little mini-computer To get into the regular computers at work and
4: home.
2: I see people today, they scan checks with their cell phone and they're making deposits that way rather than going to the banks. Is that a smart idea?
3: It's a good idea to go ahead and scan checks and send them in because the banking websites are fairly safe. But again, here's the issue. Number one, you want to make sure that your device is secure because it's not so much the issue of the check itself it's can I see anything that you're doing on that device to get your login information to your bank account. However, once you scan that if, uh, the check-in, it's been really secured by the bank so you're safe. What I recommend to people is have two-factor authentication. Don't just enter a password to get into your banking information or anything else that's important make sure you're using that two-factor where they're sending you a code that changes every 60 seconds so that you can enter that number as well as a second level of security and the second recommendation I have is if your bank does not have two-factor authentication get a different bank in today's reality you need to have that you want to protect your most important assets you don't need to protect everything on your computer and your phone there's some stuff that just frankly who cares But the things that are truly important, your finances, your sensitive personal information, your health history, those are the things you want to take the time to make sure you're keeping secure.
2: So John, we've been talking about the things that we can do as individuals, but there are things that seem to be outside of our control when outside sites or companies have data breaches and, and as a result, our information gets stolen. So what type of damage does a thief do to a person when he or she steals an identity, and is there anything we can do to protect ourselves in that case?
3: Great questions. So starting with the data breach itself, the reality is data is even more valuable in many ways than actual cash, because I can sell the data for a lot more cash in the long run. If you were to go to the dark net, you're going to find eBay-like websites that do nothing but sell personal information so that a person can go and buy credit cards or other things. If I steal your information, I might wanna go ahead and apply for a home equity loan in your name on your property, but have the funds sent to an account that I've established. And then of course I'm going to move those funds so that you'll never find them. You may not even be aware of that home equity loan because you don't check into those things and look at the status of your mortgage. Meanwhile, you find out later on that you happen to have a $100,000 loan that you never even knew about. And these types of crimes affect everyone. When you think about stealing sensitive information and personal information, if I steal it from you, you're probably gonna find out within the near future. You'll get a notification that your information has been hacked or that somebody has compromised a company and lost your information. But if I steal the information of people under the age of 18, they're probably not going to find out about it until much later in life, because they're not checking their credit records and they're not using credit cards where they're notified by the consumer. So you have to remember, you want to protect yourself, but you want to protect everybody in your family as well.
2: As consumers, John, what type of insulation do we have from this situation?
3: So when you are hacked or when a company is hacked and loses your information, the reality is the company has to protect you up to a certain degree. By law, they have to offer you a year of credit monitoring. But what good does that do when somebody now has your information and they can compromise you in many, many different ways? What you want to do is be responsible for yourself. Think about it. You have homeowners insurance, car insurance, but what type of protection do you have for the internet? And I'm not advocating going out and getting cyber insurance, but are you monitoring what's going on? Are you using a cyber monitoring system? Uh, There's a lot of companies out there that will monitor your credit report. I highly recommend using something like that. I have a service that I retained. I'm only paying $3 a month but it's looking at my credit record and sending me an update. If anything happens, I'll be notified immediately, and then I can work to correct the problem. In this day and age, if you're going to carry insurance on everything else, carry insurance on the one thing that you're going to use every single day of your life, and that's anything related with the Internet.
2: John, my credit card does some type of uh, security check, and they, and they monitor and send a monthly report. Is that enough?
3: Well, your credit card, having a security check, is just only one small aspect of your life. It's not checking everything else you do, such as your health records, where we have quite a bit of cybercrime. As a matter of fact, anything health-related is uh, in the top 10 of potential risk. But going back to the credit card, a bit of advice for your listeners. If you have a debit card and a credit card, my advice is never use a debit card the reality is when your credit cards breached it's the banks money when your debit card account is breached it's your money and now you're arguing with the bank to give you back free money regardless of whose fault it was it's up to you to prove that it didn't happen on your end because of you if it happened to the credit card company it's federally insured the reality is that it's their money They pass that cost along to the consumer and aspect of fees, but at least you're whole and you don't have to worry about getting your money back. Second bit of advice, have two credit cards. I have a credit card for everything I do online. And then I have a second credit card for everything I do in public. And if you had to guess which one it would be, that would be compromised. It's the one in public, not the one online. Most, websites are fairly secure when it comes to making online purchases but out in the public your credit card be can be skimmed somebody can copy the information down you could lose it if you have two credit cards and something happens to one of them then you don't have to worry about the other and you can continue to do business that way all your online prepaid things you have set up with the credit card are not going to be cancelled and you don't have to set them up again because 99% of the time, it's the credit card you use every day to pay for items.
2: John, I, I want to switch gears completely because uh, a few weeks ago in my town, there was an armed bank robbery during banking hours, and there were people in the bank. And this and, unfortunately, the new reality of these mass shootings, these events make us feel helpless. God forbid someone finds himself in an active shooter situation What should that person do to increase the odds of survival?
3: Great question. So I have been involved personally in a number of active shootings. Uh, I was on scene for the Gabby Giffords uh, shooting aftermath, working that case, and I happened to find myself in Las Vegas uh, at Mandalay Bay when the shooting happened there uh, because I was in town for business. But with all that Regardless of where the shooting occurs, you want to employ the same type of response. We've all heard the run-hide fight before, but let me explain for a moment exactly so your listeners truly understand what that means. When we say run, that should be your first choice if you have that at all. Very hard for a shooter to hit a moving target. More importantly, the more distance you create, the harder it is to be accurate with a weapon. You wanna run and you wanna get out of that area as quickly as possible. Also, it gives you the ability to share the information with law enforcement that can go in and assist. If you can't run, you've gotta hide, but hiding is not just like getting under a desk and essentially becoming a sitting duck. What you want to do is you wanna hide in a place that the shooter, even if he knows you're hiding there, can't get at you. You wanna go into a room and lock the door close the blinds, uh, silence everything in the room, turn off the lights. And if the shooter tries to get in the door and can't, then that shooter is not going to sit there and continue to do that. They're going to move on to the next room. If the door doesn't have a lock, you can barricade the door. Uh, You can secure the mechanisms that control the door to prevent it from being opened. You can jam things underneath the door to prevent it from being opened. There's a lot of ways you can secure yourself to stay safe. Finally, the fighting aspect, we're not talking about becoming professional fighters or taking on a shooter and overpowering them. We're talking about fighting just long enough so they can go back to plan A and run. So somebody walks into the room and begins shooting, start throwing objects at the shooter, chairs, uh, tables, uh, if you're in a restaurant, plates. It's very hard for anybody to fire a weapon when they're being pelted with items. And the minute that shooter is distracted, there's your chance to run and get away and create that distance.
2: John, I want to thank you so much for joining us today. I know we've covered a lot of information, and there's so much more that we can talk about. So I invite you to come back anytime you would like. If you would like to learn more about John and his work, you can visit F. FBijohn.com. That's FBijohn.com. And as always, you can visit our website, cyacyl.com. John, again, thank you so much for being here.
3: Joan, thanks for having me, and I look forward to coming back someday.
2: This is Conversations with Joan. Stay with us. We'll be right back.
0: Call them today at 347-903-7030. That's 347-903-7030. Or go to primohealthsolutions.com. Using
1: metabolic typing, Primo Health Solutions will let your body work best.
5: Calm, vitality, mindfulness. We all want them, but they seem so hard to attain. Escape the stress and frenzy of the city streets. New York Open Center offers courses, trainings, and a vibrant community to help you start your journey for a more balanced and healthy life. Visit our website at opencenter.org for more information. Stop by our cafe and bookstore for all your wellness needs. Find your center at 30th and Madison.
2: Hi, this is Joan Herman.
5: This is Susan McLaughlin from SMC Ventures. Have you ever posted something on social media and went, oh, maybe I shouldn't have posted that? Relax. It's just social media. The great part about social media is that it's social. You can try new kinds of posts, see how they do. Maybe they find some new people who would like to know what you're about. And maybe it's a dud. Oh, well, social media is not the be-all and end-all of what your business is or what you're doing. You running your business is the most important part. In social media, it's important that you're showing up, that you're commenting on people who drop by your feed, and that you're sharing the support of other businesses and people who you come into contact with on social media or in real life. Consistency is an important factor of social media. So next time you want to try something new, do it. Just trust yourself and give something a new opportunity to shine. If you need help with your social media for your business, give us a call. You can check out our website at smcventures.biz or visit us on Facebook, Instagram, or LinkedIn. This is Susan McLaughlin from SMC Ventures. Get social with Sue.
2: Did you know that athlete's foot can spread to other parts of the skin? including hands, groin, and scalp. Hi, I am Dr. Anant Joshi, dietrist practicing in Woodland Park, New Jersey at Advanced Foot Care of NJ LLC. Athlete's foot is a fungal infection of the skin, including between the toes. The fungus tends to thrive in warm, damp areas and can cause itching, cracking, blistering, and peeling of the feet. It's important to keep your feet clean and dry. Antifungal treatments in the form of sprays, powders, or lotions to apply to your feet are available in most drugstores. If the fungus is spreading or worsening after treatment, a person should see their doctor who can prescribe oral antifungal medications for the condition. If you'd
5: like more information or to schedule an appointment, please visit our website, footpainnj.com.
6: What is it about spring that puts a bounce in your step and a smile on your face? Hi, I'm Allison Iotti, owner of Awaken Sound Health. It's spring in the northeastern United States. The air is fresh, the early spring flowers are blooming, and there is an infectious and invigorating energy in the atmosphere. You only have to step outside on a sunny day to feel good. What if I told you that you could have this bounce in your step feeling every day of the year? Joy is possible every day. It's not only possible, it's essential to your health and vitality to both feel and express joy. But how can you do this if you are weighed down by daily stress? And what's the solution? At Awake and Sound Health, we think the solution is within you and accessible to you through meditation. Meditation is a practice of focusing your awareness to calm and steady your thoughts and your emotional state. Most meditative practices take time and consistent application to master, and it can be challenging to learn something new that requires patience and persistence to get results, when all you want is to feel better right now. Here's the solution. Try a healing vibration sound bath and find your way to meditation quickly and easily just by relaxing into the soothing and therapeutic sounds. As your breathing slows, your mind relaxes, and your body releases tension. And before you know it, you're meditating. Book your sound bath appointment today at awakensoundhealth.com. Sound th- Therapy is not a replacement for medical or psychological intervention.
1: This is WNYM, Hackensack, New Jersey, New York City.
2: Welcome back to Conversations with Joan. I'm Joan Herman. Thanks for staying with us. My next guest, Dan Buettner, has traveled the world to learn the secrets of the happiest people, how they live, eat, and socialize, and how these factors contribute to their overall health and longevity. Dan created Blue Zones, through which he works to help people live a happy, healthy, long life. He has just released his first cookbook, The Blue Zones Kitchen, which is filled with recipes inspired by Blue Zones around the world. Welcome, Dan. Thank you so much for joining us. It's a
0: real delight to be here. Thank you for having me.
2: So, Dan, your work has been around something called Blue Zones. For those who may be unfamiliar with this term, what is a Blue Zone? Well, it began with a National Geographic project about 15 years ago
0: to find the statistically longest-lived people in the world. Uh, We found them in Okinawa, Japan, longest-lived men in Sardinia, Italy, Nicoya, Costa Rica, uh, a little island called Ikaria in Greece, and then among the Seventh-day Adventists. So we know that only about 20% of how long you live is dictated by genes. The other 80% is lifestyle and environment. So we struck off on this worldwide project, 15 years, to reverse engineer uh, longevity, find the common denominators. I've written uh, three other Blue Zones books. But I just at a certain point realized that in America, the runway uh, for so many Americans for a healthier lifestyle begins with their mouth. So I decided to not only uh, find the, the common diet of longevity among all these Blue Zones, but actually collect some recipes from some of these 80-, 90-year-old cooks who've been cooking the same way for 500 years. And the result is the Blue Zone Kitchen.
2: So let's talk about the guidelines for how the world's longest living people eat. What types of foods do they eat and what do they tend to avoid? So you want to think cheap
0: peasant food. So they're, uh, 95 to 100% of their dietary intake is a whole plant-based food. Uh, it's a very high carbohydrate diet, flies right in the face of keto or paleo. Uh, about 60, about two thirds of what they eat are complex carbohydrates. When I say complex, I mean lentils, not lollipops. Um, the, the five pillars of every longevity diet in the world are whole grains, believe it or not, um, corn, rice, and wheat, greens of all kinds, uh, nuts. If you're eating a handful of nuts a day, it's probably adding two years to your life expectancy, tubers like potatoes, uh, in Okinawa, the longest lived women in the world ate, uh, uh, sweet potatoes every day. And then, uh, the, the, the big longevity all-star, if people feel the need to take a longevity supplement, I recommend 120 beans every day. If you're eating about a cup of beans a day, it's probably adding about four years to your life expectancy. So uh, we spent a good bit of time in this book um, showing people how to make beans taste delicious.
2: So these regions, do they experience the same type of lifestyle diseases that we do, such as obesity, high blood pressure, diabetes, heart disease? They,
0: yes, they suffer it, but at a fraction of the rate we do. So you bring up a good point. You know, we're right in the middle of this corona tragedy. Uh, we're fear, afraid that 100 or 200,000 people will die this year of an infectious disease. But we can't forget that 5 to 10 times that number of people, Americans will die this year of an avoidable chronic disease. And that is largely because of the way we're eating in this country. And um, these people in blue zones can really show the way for us to to not only avoid those diseases, but also keep our immune systems uh, stronger. Most Americans dying of the coronavirus uh, are dying because they also have uh, uh, diabetes or are suffering from obesity. So uh, it's really doubly important at this time to take the time to learn how to cook uh, whole plant-based foods for our families.
2: So you just gave us a, a basic guideline of the types of foods we should eat and then you just mentioned it's important to learn how to cook them so is there a particular way that they cook the food that makes a difference
0: yeah so they don't deep fry food you know they, they do use lots of olive oil uh, but they they tend to saute their foods at low heat or finish their their soups and stews with with a drizzling olive oil on top rather than you know, frying it hard, frying the vegetables hard. I think that's really important. I think one of the big revelations is that most of these recipes can be cooked with just an Instapot. A lot of poor people in America, they they, they can't afford cookery or they haven't been afforded the opportunity to learn how to use an oven. Or, uh, But almost every American can afford a pressure cooker or an Instapot or a Crock-Pot. And most of these recipes can be can be made in there. Um, they take less than 20 minutes to assemble and will cost less than a dollar a serving. And they'll be feeding our family uh, healthy food that'll help them not only lose weight, but, but get the number of years we should all be enjoying uh, that, that uh, um, we've been given.
2: And, Dan, where can our listeners go to get more information about your work? BlueZones.com. And once again, the title of the book is The Blue Zones Kitchen. 100 Recipes to Live to 100. Dan, thank you so much for joining us.
0: What a delight to talk to you.
2: This is Conversations with Joan. Stay with us. We'll be right back.
1: Do you struggle to find the balance between elite performance and mental wellness? Hi, I'm Scott Doty, academic mentor, performance coach, and founder of Brainstorm Tutoring and Arts. And I often tell my students and my clients that wellness is the first step to achievement. When we say that we want to achieve at a high level and achieve peak performance when the stakes are high, whether that be on a big test, in the admissions process for college or grad school, nailing the interview for the dream job, killing it on the big performance for your theater or your music or your sports, we always begin with wellness and so we start with the basics sleep hydration breath work community and positive self-talk from the basis of incredible personal emotional mental wellness we have the stability to build into our goals to achieve at our best performance level in whatever it is that we're performing and pursuing and endeavoring to kill and crush and dominate in. We begin with wellness and then performance follows. If you want to hear more about our holistic approach to elite performance, please check out Brainstorm's website, stormthetest.com.
2: In today's supercharged do-it-now world, convenience is key. Now you can listen to Conversations with Joan at a time that's best for you. Simply visit your favorite podcast site, Spotify, Apple, Stitcher, or Google, search for Conversations with Joan and subscribe. New shows drop every Monday. You can also access the podcast through our website, CYACYL.com. Start your week on a positive note. Listen to Conversations with Joan. for your health. Joining me today is Dr. Katherine Berndorf, co-founder and medical director of the Motherhood Center, a treatment center in New York City for pregnant and new moms experiencing anxiety and depression. She specializes in treating women before, during, and after pregnancy, as well as at other times of transition in their lives. Dr. Berndorf is an associate professor of psychiatry at Cornell. She was a regular mental health columnist for Self Magazine and has appeared on numerous television programs, including the Today Show, Good Morning America, MSNBC, and CNN. She is a co-author of the new book, What No One Tells You, A Guide to Your Emotions During Pregnancy, and Motherhood. Dr. Berndorf is here today to discuss relationships after childbirth. Welcome, Dr. Berndorf. Thanks for joining us. Oh, thanks for having me, Joan. Catherine, having a baby can be the most wonderful time in our life, but sometimes the demands of motherhood become overwhelming. Is it normal to be on edge and fight with those closest to us, like our parents or even our partner? Oh, absolutely.
4: I mean, can you imagine you've just added a whole new member of the family, um, and it's a very vulnerable time, and you've just, you know, been through a pregnancy and a delivery. And it's like, you've just run a marathon. You're not expected to like get up and walk perfectly. Right. Like as a metaphor for the idea that like everything has changed and things are harder in a new way, not forever and always, but the identity transition I think is so underappreciated in new motherhood that how could things not be difficult? And could relationships not be stressed in new ways? So
2: when a new mother finds herself experiencing these types of emotions, what can she do before she goes into battle with a loved one?
4: Oh, that is a big question. Um, You know, I think that if in the best case scenario, when someone's pregnant or even prior to pregnancy, there is some appreciation for the idea that Becoming a mother, right? This a word that's kind of been revitalized um, after um, being coined in the in the seventies. Um, a word called matrescence, right? Becoming a mother, like adolescence, becoming a, an adolescent or a teen, right? It's this bumpy transitional period, and it is difficult at best, and it is um, under as I said appreciated and recognized as this transition that really rocks your world. And if you kind of know that going into it and have appreciation for that, maybe you'll be a teeny bit ahead of the curve mm-hmm. when it happens, right? So so that kind of preparation or thinking about it when you're pregnant, right? The idea that, oh boy, life is going to change. Life as I know it will never be the same because guess what? It won't. That mm-hmm. doesn't mean it's going to be worse or it's only going to be better, it's going to be many things. And the anticipation of the change, you know, and putting on your metaphoric seatbelt is a really kind of important um, thing to hold in your awareness.
2: So what can our family members and loved ones do? Because, you know, sometimes the people closest to you really know how to push your buttons. So what can they do to help diffuse the situation? Yeah,
4: so listen. it's, isn't it? ironic that the people closest to us you know because they do know our buttons and can push them so why do they you know but, but they do because <laughs> it, things that's sort of an acting out right they're not sometimes it's not as easy to speak directly about what's happening and bring a new baby into the picture who's got demands 24/7 it, it makes it rough on everyone to figure out how to be and um how to be their best self right how to um use their words and use their mature skill sets to to communicate so it's quite rough to um, navigate the terrain but but figuring out how to talk about things as opposed to just feeling bad or mad or sad right is figuring out how to put words to that it's like right going back to kindergarten use your words how do you talk to people about how you're feeling and, um, you know, sometimes that's hard for the, for the new mom who may be in a very vulnerable state, but, but maybe that's, you, you, you wanna with your, if you, if you're, if you have a partner and a good relationship there, it's, it's figuring out, okay, how are we gonna talk to your parents or my parents so that they get that we actually don't want them to walk into our house without knocking on the door, or we don't like it when they do you know, pick up the baby without washing their hands or whatever it is, right? All these little teeny unexpected things can become fights. Maybe you and your husband or you and your partner aren't even on the same page about those things. Maybe someone said to me yesterday, my husband doesn't even see it. He thinks whatever that his parents do is like, he's like fine with it, but it drives me crazy. So what do you do with that, right? So how do you figure out how to talk with your partner and express it in a way that's not going to only put them on the defensive but is and you're not at your best so being able to facilitate a conversation like that it is hard but ultimately that's what it is it's about communication as much you know sort of openness and directness and kindness kindness and empathy as you can muster in those moments whether it's you know with the partner or with a parent or a sibling or someone who's disappointed you or You know, any of the feelings that you're having about the shifting in relationships, you know, the more directly and kindly those can be addressed, the better off you hopefully will be.
2: Catherine, you're talking about shifts in relationships. What about the shift that occurs between the new mother and her romantic partner? Prior to the arrival of the baby, the partner was the mother's world. And once the baby comes, the focus shifts. What about that resentment and jealousy that the father or partner ends up feeling toward the mother. What can she do
4: to help with that? Right. Well, it's, you're describing a very common phenomenon, which is like when you go from two to three, anybody knows, you know, you're in a, a, a dialogue, you bring in another person or a third friend or a third wheel, we even have a term for it, right? Like it's a complicated position. The, the, the question is, is, you know, like you said, Maybe the partner used to be the center of the, the new mom's universe, and now there's a baby competing, quote unquote, for time and attention and needs being met, right? It's like, again, it's all the expressions that we use all the time. Stop being a baby. We say to adults, it's like, because I actually have a real baby here, right? Who needs attention. But guess what? The partner is feeling bereft, too. And I, I think it brings up one of the very common themes that happens in this, this period of matrescence, which is loss. And it, it, it seems, again, somewhat ironic or surprising that you've gained this baby, but you've lost many things, right? And, and these things are true at the same time. Like, it's not a zero sum, but you get one and give up the other. But you both get one and give up the other, right? You can't be a, you can't be a not mother once you are a mother, but you, you do have a light. You did have a life before and an identity that, that there's still a self. So you have to navigate that with a partner, right? Who has potentially been displaced, dethroned, um, detached from because you're the object of your, in some way desire, like, Everything is taken over by the baby, um, even if it's just physical need, but can really drive a wedge between you and your partner. So talking about it. So you ask what to do and it's talking about it. It's airing the feelings, saying things like I feel left out, not you are leaving me out. Again, back to kindergarten, use I statements. I feel sad. I feel like I don't matter anymore. And typically when someone hears that, they can say, oh, my gosh, I'm so sorry you feel that way, as opposed to, you're such a baby. But, right, it, it, the nuances of the conversation, again, which this is a hard time to do it, but the better you get at it, the more practice you give yourself the, the, or challenge yourself to do, the, the more likely you are to have success and, and, and find new ways to be a triad now that you're no longer a dyad. This baby's in your life. So how are you going to work that out with, with the, the different relationships that are, that are there?
2: The book is What No One Tells You, A Guide to Your Emotions During Pregnancy and Motherhood by Dr. Katherine Berndorf. If you would like to get more information about Catherine and her work, you can visit Motherhoodcenter.com. And as always, to hear more from Dr. Berndorf, you can visit our website, cyacyl.com slash Katherine. Do you ever feel like there's no end to the problems that you face? Do your challenges seem too great to overcome? Do you ask yourself, what's the point? If you answered yes to any of these questions, welcome to the majority. Most people at one time or another feel the same way. Hi, this is Joan Herman here with a lesson learned while earning my PhD in life. Pain is inevitable, but suffering is optional. We tend to look at others and think that they have it made. They have it all figured out. What we don't realize is that those who appear to have figured it all out have the same feelings. However, they've made a conscious decision to turn their adversity into a positive experience. A wise person once said, pain is inevitable, but suffering is optional. We all face adversity. It's what you do with it that matters. I had the opportunity to interview baseball great Jim Abbott. Jim pitched a no-hitter with the New York Yankees, won the gold medal game at the 1988 Olympics, entered the starting rotation of the California Angels without spending one day in their minor league, and finished third in voting for the Cy Young Award. Jim was born with one hand. Jim spent much of his life with his missing hand tucked in his front pocket. Like the rest of us, he felt insecure and self-conscious. But he chose a career with a uniform that didn't have a front pocket. Even when he was standing on the pitcher's mound making history, his insecurities crept in his thoughts. But he never let those insecurities stop him. And now he serves as an inspiration to many, children especially, proving that anything in life is possible. His challenge has become a gift. Will you let your challenge become a gift? Will you look for the lessons in your adversity? If you've lost a job, try to figure out what happened. Is there anything you could have done differently? Is it time for a career change? If you're facing an illness, look for the reasons why it may have happened. Can you change your lifestyle or your diet? Can you be an inspiration to someone else? If you have relationship problems, what can you change about the way you interact with others? Is the person an emotional drain in your life? If you're in debt, can you improve on your budgeting skills or become more financially prudent? Adversity is guidance. Sometimes it comes into your life to tell you it's time to change, sometimes to teach you a lesson. Always remember that anything can be overcome with the right attitude. Look to others for strength and inspiration. Rather than getting bogged down with your own problems, pay attention to people who happily survive and even prosper despite all of the odds. As Jim Abbott said, when something is taken away once, it is given back twice. Look for what is given back to you. Thank you for spending this time with me. For more inspiration and empowering tools, visit joanherman.com. Thank you for joining us. I hope you found the show informative change your attitude, change your life. We believe that knowledge is power. Take what you've learned, apply it, and live your best life now.